If you have your Bibles, could you take them and turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 is where we'll be today. talking to a friend recently and he said this uh, just kind of stuck in my mind he said when I gave my life to follow Jesus I wanted to know more about this person whom I had chosen to follow it's helpful the way he articulated it's kind of going back even to his early days of being a Christian he wanted, wanted to know more I mean he committed his life to this Jesus as a person, and he wanted to know more about what it meant to follow him. And as he reflected on that even recently, he realized that some things hadn't changed for him. That had meant from that day and even going forward a consistent pursuit of knowing God and learning God's word and growing, really seeking what it means to follow this person. It makes total sense if you're a Christian by definition that you, by definition you ought to understand who Jesus is and it makes sense that you're trying to figure out, you know, what does Jesus teach because I want to believe that. He's the son of God. He's our savior and Lord. We, we not only follow his example, but we know where to obey his commands. We, we follow him. So we look at like, how did he live? What decisions did he make? What were his priorities? What were his values? What shaped him? If we're, if, we're really, if we're really following him, then that will entail us trying to know more about him. And I would say this, even if you're in this place in our gathering here today and you're not yet a Christian, but you're asking a lot of questions and you're seeking out like truth and meaning and life and purpose. I think still, even if you're not yet a Christian, you will want to know like, what, what does Jesus have to say? What does he teach us truth? And so I'm grateful for you being here. In our understanding of who Jesus is, something might be very easy to miss. I feel like I've gone long stretches of time without thinking about this particular question. It's the one I want us to consider today. And that is, what did Jesus think? What did he believe about Scripture? So we're following Jesus. And so my question for us today is not even all of what did he teach, but what did he think of Scripture? What did he believe about the collection of teaching and stories that make up at least probably the first two-thirds of our Bible? What did he think about his own words in comparison to, to the words of Scripture that he received? And what about the apostles that he would give his word to and they would teach others? What did he think about that? What about the authority on that? And this is what I'm convinced of. If we're a follower of Jesus, then we should, listen, if we are a follower of Jesus, if that's what we claim to be, we should embrace. That means we should follow and believe and obey whatever understanding Jesus had. If Jesus had it, we should have it as well. That's what it means to be a follower of him. And I believe that we as Christians want to look more and more like Jesus. So part of that will be, what does it look to look more and more like Jesus when it comes to his understanding of Scripture and God's Word? There's so many places we could look, so many places I'd like to turn to. But the first is this passage in Matthew chapter 4. It's a story that's more known for it being the temptation of Jesus Christ. But we get a window into that. 
And the lens I want us to look at today is that lens of what did Jesus think about Scripture? So Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1. God's word says this, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The devil took him to the holy city. He set him on the pinnacle of the temple and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, then throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So the devil took him to a very high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And Jesus said to him, or, and Satan said to Jesus, all of these I will give you if you'll just fall down and worship me. Jesus said, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Well, then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. One of the most serious power encounters of all scripture. It's a powerful story. And what I don't want to do is kind of slice and dice this beautiful story and diminish it into like parts and points. I don't think that helps. And yet what what I'd like to do is give some handles to think about this very question. Like what did Jesus think about scripture? Did, Did you notice that he referred to it? I think if we're going to understand how Jesus thought of scripture, we're going to come to this conclusion. Jesus loved God's word. I I just can't think of a a better baseline than that. Whatever else we'll say, and we've got other things to say, this is the baseline. Jesus loved God's word. How do we know that? Because he was always saying it. Like we talk about the things we love. We share the things that are important to us. I'm not even compelled to do things I love. I'm not even compelled. You don't even have to compel me to do that. I want to do that. There's something internally going on where I want to share what I love. I want to share what's most important to me. And so Jesus again and again says, it is written, it is written, it is written. Three times here he quotes Deuteronomy and he, he quotes Psalms here and the, the ancient scripture. So he goes back and he, he pulls from that in, in this moment of great weakness and kind of when you're, when you're hungry and everything in your whole system is about out. What comes out there is really what's at the core and what's at the core of Jesus is this word that he's hidden in his heart. It's kind of odd maybe to think of Jesus as one who loved God's word. He's the embodiment of God's word, but still he loved it. He quotes from it again and again and again. Someone has said it well. I mean, Jesus loved the Lord or loved the word with his heart, his mind, and his will. He loved it with all his heart. That's why he would say something like, man isn't going to live. Mankind doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word. This is Jesus, not in his strongest position, but in his weakest position, when he hasn't eaten anything for 40 days, and temptation is real. He says, even if I had food, you can't live by that. What I need is God's word. That's what feeds me. He loved it. He loved it. 
the first portion. So when we're reading in Matthew, in my Bible, you can see, so about from here on is the New Testament, but that means all of that before Jesus knew well. The same collection of 39 books from Genesis to Malachi. He loved it. He loved it. He loved the the word with his mind, not just his heart, but his mind also, so that when, when Satan twists scripture, which he often will do, out of context, Jesus loves the word so much that he sees clearly. He doesn't say, oh yeah, it does seem like scripture contradicts there. But he says, you're, you're twisting that. Actually, what God's word means is clear. He loves God with his, he loves the word with his will. It is enough that God has spoken. I mean, did you hear him say to Satan, be gone? This is the way it's going to be because it is written. He quotes and clearly sees the authority and he gladly obeys. So the question I would have this morning, okay, probably many in the room, if not most say, I'm a follower of Jesus. So as you follow Jesus, do you love the word like he loved it? In your growing to be more and more like Jesus, are you growing in this love of God's word? Are you more and more shaped by it? For Jesus, the Old Testament was an authoritative record of the mind of God and the working of God. So much so, there's an interesting passage in just kind of a page over. So if you're in Matthew 4, if you go over to Matthew 5, in verse 17, it's up on the screen. Do not think, Jesus says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I mean, if anybody could, Jesus could, right? Jesus kind of writes his own rules. I don't write my own rules. Jesus wrote his own rules. He says, I didn't come to abolish it, but actually I came not to abolish the law of prophets, but I've come to fulfill them. Truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass, not an iota or nor a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Not only did Jesus love the word, but Jesus knew something. Jesus knew he was the fulfillment of scripture. Jesus knew he fulfilled scriptures in such a way where if we're saying things like that, like all the scripture comes and finds its fulfillment in Curtis, you would rightfully question my sanity and my spirituality. But Jesus has all authority and he says, all of that, all of that Old Testament, all of scripture, from the law to the prophets, kind of bookends from from Genesis to Malachi, if you will, all of that, I fulfill it. I complete it. Jesus didn't see himself as like this kind of timeless figure like a, a Mother Teresa that, you know, just across cultures you find what a great person, what a person to emulate, what a person to be inspired by. Jesus is different than that. He's actually the completion of a story. He says the story has gone on from eternity. He's connected to the story. He's come to fulfill the law. He's the continuation of something before. And he comes to share his word. I love the way uh, a British pastor says this. Andrew Wilson says in this book uh, called Unbreakable, which is an excellent book on this particular topic. He says this, So when Jesus says he has come to fulfill the law and the prophets, he isn't being clever. He's saying that the ship was always meant for the ocean. 
and the engagement was always pointing toward a wedding. And the law and the prophets were always going to climax in a new king, a new people, and a new heart. That's what it means to fulfill the law. In some ways, we say Jesus is the center, and we're right in doing so. In other ways, we'd have to say Jesus is the beginning, and we're right to do so. In some ways, we say Jesus is the end, he's the completion, he's the fulfillment, and we're right in saying all those things because Jesus knew he fulfilled the scriptures. And he was so clear on this. So as we're following Jesus, we know he loved God's word, but we also know as we're following him, he saw scripture fulfilling in himself. And did you know Jesus not only looked back to the the Old Testament and all of Scripture before him, and he found that authoritative, but he also found his own words authoritative. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 7, another couple chapters over, he says this, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. It's a pretty audacious thing for someone to say. If you listen to all my words... Foundation is firm. The rain falls, the flood comes, the winds blow, but the house doesn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and floods came, and winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So when Jesus finished these teachings, the crowd, the crowds weren't confused here. They know they knew he had spoken with authority. They were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Do you notice what's happening here? All right, so this is what Jesus knew. Jesus knew that the Old Testament scriptures spoke authoritatively. So he could say, it is written, it is written, I follow that. And I complete that so much so that Jesus then could say, and I speak in the present authoritatively. So whatever Jesus says goes. Whatever Jesus says, build your house, build your life like this on a firm foundation, it is true and it's right. And you can even look over into John, particularly John chapter 14, and he promises, I'm going to speak to my disciples, and the Holy Spirit's going to bring all, their, all things to remembrance for them and guide them into truth so that then what they write, what Peter writes, what Paul will write, what John will write, will be authoritative as well. What did Jesus think about Scripture? He, he loved God's Word, and he fulfilled Scripture you know, as I was studying for the message, I looked at, just kind of did a, a very quick glance through Matthew. Matthew chapter 8, Jesus references Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Isaiah. In Matthew chapter 9, he quotes from, from uh, Hosea. As I was looking, I found references to Sodom and Gomorrah, a story in Genesis. found references to Elijah's story in First and Second Kings. Stories about David and Jonah, and Solomon. Many other scriptures and stories in God's word. You know what that's telling us? It's telling us something else, that Jesus believed the scriptures could be trusted. Jesus believed that scriptures could be trusted. Okay, so here's all these old stories. Jonah, David, Solomon, Sodom, Gomorrah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jesus is the Son of God. He's God incarnate. He's God in flesh. So what he could do in that moment, speaking authoritatively, he could have said, you know, I, I have some doubts. Yeah, that, that story about Jonah, 
It's a, it's a good metaphor for things. And he could have said, you know, Moses, Abraham, Isaac, it's kind of legend and we can glean some principles from that. Jesus could, dis, could have dismissed David and Solomon, saying, yeah, I don't think we're all meant to take the stories of David literally. I'm figurative they have some value, but basically, I mean, Jesus could have said, friends, listen, the point is that you be a good person, do the best you can, and try to, try to make your place in this world. He could have said that. A lot of people think he did say that. But they haven't taken time to read what he actually said. What he actually said is all of that was true. He never dismisses any of that. He quotes as as authoritative. So if anybody, Jesus, God in flesh, anybody could rewrite it all and say, you kind of missed it for all those years and taken it so literally and historically. Jesus could have done that. If he had done that, we'd say, well, us too. You know, let's get out our erasers. And in 2016, if it doesn't seem to fit, well, my goodness, let's just take it out. Jesus did. We should. Well, that part doesn't make sense to me, so Jesus didn't seem to think it was all true. I don't think it's true either. Doesn't seem so relevant. Doesn't seem like with the times. If Jesus had done that, we, we might have license to do that, but he didn't, did he? He didn't. Over and over again, he affirmed Scripture. As a matter of fact, he would say, heaven and earth will pass away. My words won't. In John 10, he would say, Scripture cannot be broken. The word means kind of unraveled, or kind of fall, fall apart, invalidated, nullified. I want to quote from Andrew Wilson again. He says, since God has spoken through Scripture, then any argument that leads to the conclusion that Scripture is broken in some way, no matter how convincing it sounds, must be wrong. End of story. That's hugely challenging. Many of us, when faced with a biblical difficulty, and there are plenty of those, find it easy to conclude that the scriptures are broken. Maybe it didn't really happen. Maybe God didn't really say that. Wilson says that hardly a day goes past without some Christian somewhere apologizing for something the Bible says and muttering something about it being a human book complete with muddles and mistakes. But if the scriptures are the unbreakable word of God as Jesus thought they were, then a different approach is needed Maybe it's my interpretation or my assumptions. Maybe the answer is in there. I just need to look a bit harder. Maybe I'm the one who is broken rather than the Bible. Powerful words. If we looked at it even a little bit further, a question about whether Scripture is true and right and speaks authoritatively, like Jesus dealt with that. I was looking at Matthew 22, and I, I think the references will be up there. So Jesus is dealing with Sadducees who have a kind of a, a certain brand of religion. And it says the same day Sadducees came to him, who's, and they say that there is no resurrection. So they asked Jesus a question, because he was certainly teaching about resurrection. And they say, teacher, Moses said, so here's the, here's the quote, if a man dies having no children, the custom in Moses' day is his brother must marry the widow, raise up offspring for the brother. Now, there were seven brothers among us, and the first married and died, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother, and so to the second, and the third, down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. So in the resurrection, therefore, of all the seven, okay, whose wife will she be? 
for they all had her. This is one of those silly questions. We're not immune to those, those gotcha questions. They think they've got you, and it's always a mistake when you put Jesus in a box and say, we got you. That's what they're doing, right? And notice what Jesus says. Maybe the most blunt thing, maybe you've never read, like, blunt Jesus. This is, this is the case, right? Jesus answered them, you are wrong. Because you, you, neither, you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I'm the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. When the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. So Jesus is put in this scenario where either he's going to look foolish or at his best misguided, or the other alternative is, yeah, the Bible's silly because it's got this weird rule and... In the end, it doesn't really work out. So what do we have? Do we either have misguided or foolish Jesus, or do we have silly Bible? That's not uncommon today. To hear such foolish questions asked. What Jesus says is, you're wrong. He clarifies what is truth and reassures them of his own authority. Often the disciples struggled here. Often those around Jesus struggled. Like, what, what is true? So his disciples would, would, like, scratch their head after Jesus would teach. And in one place, Matthew 15, Jesus says, are you still without understanding? Mark chapter 7, he would look at religious leaders and say, you make void the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. You made this tradition has made it so complicated when it's not that complicated. Matthew 16 Jesus would ask his disciples, how is it that you failed to understand what I was talking about? Matthew 13, the people's heart has grown dull and their ears are so that they can barely hear and their eyes have been closed. John 8, 43, why do you not understand what I say? Jesus says, it is because you cannot bear to hear my word. John 5, it is the scriptures that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So here's what I find amazing. So Jesus believed that scriptures could be trusted to be also was with disciples who say, I don't quite get it. I don't quite get it. In some ways, that's so comforting to me. If I read some stuff and I go, I don't, I don't quite get it. I hear the words of Jesus saying, do you still not understand? And often he'll teach again and teach again and teach again. What he doesn't do is say, yeah, it's all messed up. It's all confusing anyway. Do, the, do your best, but it's really not true or authoritative in any way. Say, no, it's important that you get this. In some ways, they're confused, but Jesus says, you can trust God's word. You can trust God's word. We live in an age where it's easy to say, I follow Jesus. Then the question comes, what are you following him as he followed God's word, as he gave God's word? So what we can't do is separate like, well, there's God's word, and then there's the son of God, Jesus. Jesus and God's word. Scripture won't let us kind of pull those things apart. Actually, they go together and both are trusted. Jesus saw scripture as something not outdated. Needn't kind of pick it up a little bit to be hip with the times. He saw it as completely relevant. He saw it as something powerful, not just like good advice of flossing, taking vitamin supplements. Your life hinges on this. Your life hinges on this. So if we're really following Jesus, 
will look at Scripture the same way he did. Someday it'll matter what you believe about God's Word. Maybe today's that day. Maybe that day was in the past. Someday you're going to be in a hall. You're going to be a classroom. You're going to be challenged on this. Someday you're going to be sitting on an, in an emergency room. You're going to be wondering, well, what's true here? What's real? Someday you're going to need to plant your feet on something more than just, well, that kind of seems right to me. Someday you're going to realize you, you can't save yourself with the Holy God. You're going to need something to tell you the truth. And I can point you to Scripture, but I'd rather point you to Jesus and say, what would he tell you in that moment? What would he tell you? You'd say there's a word. There's a word of truth. Sometime you're going to need to shape your life based on something. Sometime you're going to need to reshape your life on something. Sometime you're going to try your own path to your own dismay and it's going to lead to your own problems. Sometimes you're going to face a lot of unknowns and you're just not going to say, I've got to make a decision and I really, I really need to know what's right and true and what's real. And you're going to need something confident. You're going to need a firm foundation. And if we ask Jesus, Jesus, what is that firm foundation? He'd say, my word, my word. Next week, what I'd like for us to do is actually think about how God's word makes itself at home in our lives. So I really want to put it into practice. But this week, I want us to be settled in our confidence of what God has said because of what Jesus has told us. Can I ask you to bow your head and close your eyes? Our Father, your word is, uh, it really is that lamp to our feet, a light to our, our path. And then you tell us your, your word is like bread and water. You tell us like it's, it's like a, it's sharper than even a two-edged sword. So it cuts, it goes into our lives. And so you told us a lot about your word, but this morning we've looked at how your son viewed your word. I pray that we would love it just like he loved it. I pray that as we read even complicated things that are hard to understand, we would go back again and again to an understanding that Jesus fulfilled this, completed it. Father, help us to trust your word even as others may discredit it. Grow us in our confidence. We have that same confidence that Jesus had. It is written, and because it is written, we can live accordingly. Thank you so much for the blessings that you've given us, one of which is a a Bible that we can hear in our own language and read in our own language. Father, may we not neglect that blessing, but may we uh, take full advantage of it this week, not out of duty, but out of delight. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.